0: We had thousands of pictures of them.
1: I could sit back and say to myself, I'm going, wow, my memories are down in print.
2: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 35 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Today I'm excited to welcome back Carla and Wayne Greenside, who you first heard as guests on episode 21 of the Believe in Dog podcast. Carla and Wayne have been very busy for the last year, and they're going to catch us up on all things Quinn, Zurich, and Paddington related. (coughs) This episode is brought to you by the Hugs and Belly Rubs Dog Health Journal. One of the most stressful times for me as a dog mom has been when my dogs have been sick. I've had dogs with cancer, with allergies, with mystery illnesses that we haven't been able to get a diagnosis for yet. With the Dog Health Journal, you can schedule your dog's daily meals, medications, supplements, track their appetite, water intake, and even poops. You can record their daily activities and note any changes in their physical appearance, such as lumps and bumps, or their routine. Since our dogs can't talk, it's our job as pet parents to listen to what they're telling us through their behavior and body language. With the Dog Health Journal, you can keep all the information you need to let your veterinarian know all in one place. With the Dog Health Journal bundle, you get your daily pages, you get your vet visit pages, you get a free 23 page ebook of the 12 changes in your dog to never ignore, and you also get tons of dog mom life hacks and general tips for keeping your dog as healthy as possible. So make sure you check the link in the show notes to hugsandbellyrubs.com for the Dog Health Journal. Your dog and your vet will thank you. Well, well. So I have to laugh because when I first caught up with Carla and Wayne a couple weeks ago to record the interview, it was a snow day. We didn't get very much here in Baltimore, and Carla and Wayne didn't get a ton of snow either, but we were talking about it because it always reminds them of Zurich and Paddington and how much they loved the snow days. So then fast forward to today, it's Sunday, January 30th, when I'm recording this intro piece, and New England just got hit with the bomb cyclone and got feet of snow. So I'm feeling all the Paddington and Zurich vibes in connection with this episode of the podcast. So if you haven't listened to part one of Carla and Wayne's story, or if you want to catch up and remind yourself, I'll have a link in the show notes. But as a quick refresher, Carla and Wayne were the pet parents to Paddington, the Morgan horse and Zurich, the greater Swiss mountain dog. And Paddington and Zurich had a very unlikely, but very adorable friendship for over 10 years. They were the best of friends had tons of adventures, got into all kinds of trouble, and then ended up passing away within just a couple months of each other a few years ago. And one thing you should know about Carla is that she's an amazing photographer. I'll have a link in the show notes to the Quinn Zurich Paddington Instagram account, where you can see Carla's photography at work. So Carla and Wayne had all these amazing photos that documented Zurich and Paddington's 10 years of adventures together. And Carla and Wayne kept thinking that this should be a book, a children's book, to share the story of this uncommon friendship between Paddington the Morgan horse and Zurich the Swiss mountain dog. So, when we last spoke with Carla and Wayne, they were telling us about this idea. They had this idea, they wanted to get this book out into the world. And today I am so excited to announce that The Great Adventures of Paddington and Zurich is now available for pre order and is scheduled to ship out on February 14th. And the other exciting thing that I thought was very cool is that there's actually two versions of the book. There is a picture book story for younger children, and then there's a novel chapter book for the older children. So we're going to catch up with Carla and Wayne today and hear all about how this book came about and the process that was involved. And then they're also going to catch us up on their new dog, Quinn. Quinn, you might remember, is their now two, almost three-year-old greater Swiss mountain dog that was brought into their family after Zurich had passed. And Quinn has gone on to become quite the winner at American Kennel Club dog breed shows. And I will admit, I know absolutely nothing <laughs> about confirmation and American Kennel Club shows. So, Carla and Wayne really give me a dog show 101 tutorial of what's involved, what they have to practice for, everything. They even define confirmation for me so that I can make sure I'm using it properly. So, I'm really excited for you to hear from Carla and Wayne Greenside. So we are here today with Carla and Wayne Greenside. Hi, Carla. Hi, Wayne.
0: Hi. How are you?
1: Hello.
2: Good. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So you guys have been very busy since last year when we last spoke.
0: We have. We have (laughs) a new book coming out about Zurich and Paddington that I think the last time we talked, that was kind of what we were hoping for. And um, it's finally going to come out around Valentine's Day.
2: You made it happen. I love it. We did. So let's talk about that. So yes, when we last spoke, so so you had Paddington was your Morgan horse and Zurich was your greater Swiss mountain dog and they were the best of friends for over 10 years and you were hoping to do a, a book to share their story and their unlikely friendship with children and so that is now now happening. So how, how did this all come about?
0: So I found the company, which is Treehouse Tunes, on a Facebook, Instagram group that was promoting different businesses. And she happened to be on there promoting her company. And um, I just reached out to her and told her the story of Paddington and Zurich. And she was immediately interested.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just the cutest story
0: ever. (laughs) It was. And it's snowing today and we think of all the days that, you know, all the times that we would run around with them in the snow and how much they loved running together.
2: Yes, we only got about two inches here. I'm sure you're probably getting a little more than us. (laughs) I think we got like six.
1: Yeah, we're about six inches right at the last time we wrote back.
2: And so I think you told me that there's actually two different versions of the book coming out. One that's going to be geared more for preschool and then one that's actually like a chapter book for like the older kids.
0: Yes, the preschool book will be more of like a picture book with a little story with a few pages, maybe a chapter or two. And then the novel will be six chapters with pictures throughout.
2: And so, how did you get to connect with? Did you uh, work with like an author and like tell them all your story and then send them like photos for the illustrator? Like, how does it all work?
0: AJ would contact me and ask about their story, different sections of it, of how we first introduced them, how they first met. Um, And then we had thousands of pictures of them. So I would send her the story of of them through the years and all the pictures that kind of went along with each section of it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny how we always say that the picture is worth a thousand words. Well, sometimes you're going to have to extrapolate from the picture. So Carla sent AJ, quite a few photos and uh, some little short pieces of video and things that she had. And she was able to kind of put it all into words now, what we couldn't put into words, because I don't claim to be a writer and neither does Carla. So as a result, she was extremely helpful in that area to help us try to piece it all together and create a a, a cogent story that had had a flow, you know, and um it was pretty amazing uh, what, what she was able to do and then from the pictures they were able to put, pull together and create a, some really nice illustrations it's it's very cute i i have to say it is very cute and i just it's very endearing too it's just like i could sit back and say to myself and going, wow my memories are down in print
2: yeah that's so special that's a really interesting process, and uh can you can you tell us any spoilers or any uh uh what the story is? um I, yeah,
0: let's think of something. The plot might be more of how they're kind of always were causing trouble between the two of them <laughs> that they were always on an adventure, and then one part of the story was how Paddington got loose out of his corral and ended up going down the street to a sacred heart, like school, and the nuns had to bring him home and knock on our door and say, does he belong to you? And Zurich had been running around the yard looking for him. Oh, I love it. Those kind of stories are in the book of how there was a fire at one point next to the field next door to us and Paddington, I looked out the window and Paddington was running around the corral and trying to warn us and the neighbors of the fire so of course the fire department came and they all loved him. Yeah, Those kind I mean, of things.
1: Basically, it, from start to finish, it, it shows you how the two of them got together for the very first time and then built this friendship as two different animals—a horse and a dog. I mean, I mean, a lot of times we think of them as just four-footed animals and that they all kind of go together, but in reality, they're two very different animals and they wouldn't necessarily associate with each other. A dog might be involved in a farm where they might just herd the horses around and, get, and keep them together, but they don't usually develop a friendship. These two developed that friendship where they would spend time together and want to be together. They would look for each other. Every morning, we would go out door. while Zurich lived in the house with us. Every morning, he wanted to go out and go to the barn. He wanted to go out and see Paddington. Paddington would have his breakfast. He would actually try to join in and eat with him. So if we took Paddington's grain bucket and put it on the ground instead of hanging on its hook on the wall, the two of them would add it on the bucket together.
2: I love it. And I know you guys have such great pictures of, of those too.
0: And there's <laughs> pictures of that in the book of them sharing the grain out of the bucket together and pictures of them running around our property together and things like that.
2: And I just always think it's such a good reminder and- Just how our animals have so much to teach us about, you know, it doesn't matter if your friends look like you, you know, it doesn't matter the shape, the size, like, you know, we're, we're, uh, we can all be friends.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that became part of the theme of the book of how two friends that don't look alike and they know it when they look at each other, but they're still friends nevertheless.
0: Which is also nice in the book because she, that's kind of the ending of how kids. At school, if you see somebody that is sitting in a corner by themselves or at a table by themselves, that maybe you should go up just because they may be a little different than you doesn't mean that you can't be their friend. And that's kind of the whole moral of the story of the books.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: Oh, I love
1: that. (laughs) Yeah, a message to take away from it, as they say. What's the message that takes away and does it stand the test of time? And we think that it will.
2: I just love this idea of a way to memorialize them and commemorate their special friendship, and that's uh, that's so exciting.
0: We, yeah, I think that was our goal. I think it will always be our goal is to always try and keep them alive.
2: And so I'll, of course, have a link in the show notes for everyone, but where can we go? So the book comes out on February 14th, and where can we go pre-order?
0: You can go to treehousetunes.com and order through there.
1: And I I think what you can do in order to find it on the treehousetunes.com, I believe if you look for The Adventures of Paddington in Zurich, I think that's how you'll find it, if you search for that on their website.
2: Oh, that's great, because that was what... I think you had shared with us last time like that that was what the book was going to be called. Adventures yes. In yes.
1: Time. Yep.
0: yes. Oh, <laughs> I love it.
2: Yeah, I just love seeing this all come to fruition for you guys. It's so exciting. It's exciting,
0: yeah.
1: It's very exciting.
2: <laughs> and so you guys have also been very busy with your dog Quinn over this past year. I've been following you on Instagram, and I see he's been doing all these competitions and uh, I'm so excited to learn about that because I knew nothing about that world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which it's all new to us. I have always shown horses since I was nine years old, basically. But the dog show, in a way, is the same, but totally different than what you think of as a horse show, really.
1: Yeah, it is very different. Um, there's While well, you have a very wonderful specimen as your dog... He's beautiful. He's well put together. All the necessary ingredients are there. But now you have to build a level of uh, a, a behavior within the dog so that he performs well at the show. He can be around other dogs without being completely distracted and out of control, as it were. And then, of course, now it falls upon the person who is the handler. How do they maintain control of the dog and present the dog? So you want to be able to Present that dog in a show format so that everybody gets to see him. He's in the proper stances. He's he's held together properly. And when the judge approaches, in order to get a closer look at your dog, you want to make sure that he's not going to be fearful of the judge, or shy, or even aggressive for that matter. So that's a whole different process to build that with your dog. So now we actually had someone else. The people that owned Quinn's father, Tucker, they tried showing him at the very first show. But while Carl and I were off on the side, kind of in the crowd, he constantly kept looking for us. So it made it really difficult for Dave, was his name, who was handling him, to try to present him in the arena. There's a period that you have to do a walkthrough with all the other dogs. And there's also a section where you're kind of almost like trotting, so to speak. And then you have to stop and hold position. And as the judge looks around and then when the judge approaches, but at the same time, he was constantly turning his head, looking for us. So Dave came to us and he said, we think it would be better if one of you handled him." So Carla tried it first and then I tried it second. And he seemed to respond to me better than to her. And maybe because I have a little bit more authoritative voice or it could be just because it's me. I have no idea. But what it is, he kind of fell into a nice routine with me. So I started getting pointers from Dave's wife Cheryl and Dave himself. And then there were a couple of other people that handle dogs that go to the shows that are extremely helpful. It's really a quite a lot of camaraderie there at the show with a lot of the handlers and other owners. Uh I would imagine if the competition got pretty tight maybe they'd be a little standoffish. <laughs>
2: that was actually one of my questions was is it more camaraderie or competitive yeah. It is
1: it is mostly camaraderie. So far yeah so, so far, far for
2: us it's
0: been <laughs> that.
1: And and it's probably because we're such novices at it that most of the people feel that we're not even in their league yet. So that we're not ultimate competition for them to have to worry about.
0: Right. Uh, Quinn has done very, very well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought I saw there were some ribbons yep. and, and other things. Quite yeah. a few. Quite um, a few ribbons yeah. they've won so far. So, And they started in May, and our last show was Thanksgiving weekend.
2: Oh, wow. So, yeah, for him to be winning, that's, I think yeah. that's pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So what's happened to us, well, most of the shows have been smaller shows, which is good because it's a good learning experience for us. And we we go through probably – somewhere between three and uh, upwards of four rounds of judging. The first round is usually a small group. And this is when Quinn wins just because he's Quinn. (laughs) It's not even, I could be making big mistakes, but he's being judged on him. The judge, most of the judges at that level are not looking at the handler, especially if you're an amateur such as myself. They've kind of like let that slide by. And then you would move up a level to the second round. And the second round might put you up against uh, the same level of dog, but now it's males and females mixed. So initially you go in and it's just males and or females if you happen to have a female. Then we mix the males and the females. And then you'll get boosted up from there. If you win, you'll get boosted up into the next round, which would be the final round in most cases of the judging competition for your breed at that show. So what's happened to us is, and I've been completely and pleasantly amazed that we've been coming in as um they call it winner's dog. And winner's dog tends to be uh what the equivalent of second place, which as far as I'm concerned, is I'm so happy with that. Yeah. Because
0: behind the best of breed.
1: Behind the best of breed. You're stand you're the next dog behind the best of breed. And in, okay. in a couple quite a few cases, the dog that won Best of Breed in that show was a dog that well deserved it. In fact, in about, I'd say, probably four of the shows that we went to that I can definitely say for sure, that the dog that won best of breed is the same dog that won best of breed at West, Westminster last year. Oh, wow. So here we are with the stiffest of competition wow. as far as that was concerned. But the dog that you lose to is the best anyway. So right,
2: like I mom, don't like- mind
1: losing to a dog like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: And so what kinds of things are you being judged
0: on? So he is being judged on basically his confirmation.
2: Can you explain that for us newbies?
0: (laughs) So it's judged on how he's put together, how when you do your down and back for the judge, that he's judged on his gait, how his movement is. It has to be a good speed, smooth, showy. And then how you present. So the, the typical thing that
2: I always see is that you see like the people are kind of like you're like lately jogging and the yep. dog is kind of trotting around. Yep. And so how does that, um, what are you, are you showing uh, like how the dog is built or, or how it would, um.
0: Yes. So when they're trotting around, you're showing off their gait, their movement, how they're put together, all of it. When you first come in, they'll have you come in and stand and the judge will go over your dog feeling Mm -hmm. them, looking at their eyes, looking at their teeth, making sure they're put together.
1: Right. So I'll I'll give you a little bit of a a play-by-play, if you will. So I'll enter the ring. And sometimes most of the shows we've done so far have been outside. We've done a few inside shows as the weather started to deteriorate. But mostly during the summertime, they were all outside, open fields, things like that. And they would create a a ring through fencing, and there'll be multiple rings going on. There'll be different dog breeds in the other rings and so on. So we go into the ring, and we have to do this thing called stacking. So that's when you go in and you have your dog stand in a very particular stance. The very square, the uh, forelegs are a certain distance apart. The hind legs are further back than normal stance. So almost so that their hocks are almost vertical. So when I say hocks, I'm talking about from the bottom of their padded foot up to what would be their heel, which is high up. And that's like where their ankle is. So that is almost vertical. So you have this vision of the dog's hind legs being behind them a little further than the normal. So how some dogs naturally stack, and Quinn is one of them. He walks almost right into position with only minor adjustments. So the judges all give everyone a chance to, as you stand beside your dog, and all the handles will be on the right-hand side of the dog, you're allowed to reach back and adjust each foot as necessary to get the dog into a stacked position. And the judge watches everyone do this to see how much they have to do in order to get into position. So that's one little marker in the judge's mind. Then as you move forward, each person will be in a lineup all along the edges of the arena. And as this goes along, the judge looks at the first person first. And in many cases, they'll have them do a, like you said, a light trot all the way around the arena and they get to the back of the line again. So and each person kind of moves up forward a little bit to like a starting point in the corner. And the judge watches that gait very carefully because some dogs have kind of a wobble when they move, or maybe their back goes up and down quite a bit, or maybe there's even like a sag or a hunch to their back. A lot of very small nuances that they're looking at. And we're very lucky with Quinn. He has he moves like a dancer. He's just so smooth. It's amazing. Uh, he's got a really beautiful coat. He has a nice shiny coat. So he looks like he's just had a bath even when he hasn't had one. And then, of course, he has a great shape to him. He's a little bit leaner than some Swissies. So now you get to a point in difference where the judges are looking at you, whether or not they like the leaner versus the, the uh, stockier. And that's just a personal opinion, I think, between one judge to the next. But generally speaking, he's really he's really great. And he has a nice straight back. His hind is smooth. His hind quarters are smooth, as well as his forelegs as he steps forward. And then the last part that they're looking is how do they hold their head? are they proud? Are they kind of hanging low, like they're a little bit shy as they go through the arena? That's not the case with them. Do they focus forward or are they constantly looking about? All of these things are being looked at. So as you go around, you finally come to another resting point where the judge wants to look at you. And they watch everybody stack right back up again. And then they'll call each person forward to like a, a judging point, if you will. And that person will come forward, stop, restack all over again. And this is where the judge will come up and give you the real once over. They may check the teeth. They may check the hindquarters. They, I mean, they reach around to make sure everything is where it's supposed to be. And then finally, they give you a chance to go up and back. And, and in many cases, they'll use the arena in a diagonal way to give you more space to work with. But they want to see you go up, make a turn, and come back. And they'll look at it. It's um, unbelievable the nuances that they're looking at. I'm I'm not even sure about everything yet. Still, so.
2: and so how do you train or or train him or practice uh, to do these things? Like I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, Penny cannot stand anybody touching her teeth. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> this was the fun part. Um, we have a lot of space in our property here, so we have some very level yard that's kind of enclosed. In what we call it the the 19th hole of it. It's a really grassy area, and while we did it, we. Carla was on her phone with Cheryl, our her, uh, Tucker's owner.
0: Quinn's Breeder. Quinn's
1: Breeder. And um, she watches on, uh, we're doing um, almost like Skype, but she was watching us while I was going back and forth. At the same time, mm-hmm. she would tell Carla, tell him to do this, tell him to do that. And she was giving me pointers the whole time. And then in other cases, while we were at some of the shows, we had some of the other... Um, handlers that are friendly with Cheryl and then became friendly with us, they gave us some pointers while we were there. They told me how to do a couple of things and watch me while I do it. So I've been trying to absorb everything little by little as much as I can.
0: And I think over the winter we will do some handling classes, dog show handling classes, just as a next step to learn even a little bit more.
1: Yeah, there's a a place about 15 miles from here that offers classes uh, once a week and we can come as often as we want. We can come the uh, once a week, every week, or we can come once a month, whatever we want to do, or whatever we think we need to do it. And I'm sure they'll tell us too.
2: I didn't even know that was a, a thing. So, And this is all related to uh, like the AKC. Is that, or yes. am I right about that? Yeah, or- no, you're <laughs> absolutely
1: right. Yep. AKC. There's, there's, there's an American Kennel Club chapter in just about every, Uh, probably every small city. Um, For instance, when we went to uh, a show in Springfield, Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts is not far from the New York border. So this particular weekend we went there, there were two shows actually going on. We were there Saturday and then we were there Sunday. And one show on Sunday was the Albany Kennel Club, based uh, out of the American Kennel Club. And then the second show on Sunday was for Troy. Both of them are cities in New York on the Hudson River. So Springfield is a very popular place to go because they have the big E fairgrounds there, which gives them a nice large venue to have the dog show where you wouldn't ordinarily have it somewhere else. And it makes for a nice central point because there's two major highways, I-91 and I-90, that both meet at that same city.
2: And so what about the distractions? That was something you mentioned too, because again, I'm thinking my dogs would be so incredibly distracted. What's over there? What's over there? Is that something that you train for?
1: Yes, yes. This this is one of the things that was making it difficult to train at home because there were no distractions. Now,
2: right, right.
1: We started to train in the yard on the opposite side of the house. But the problem with that particular part of the yard is it's up on the hill. And down the hill, we can see our neighbor's backyard. And that's where their dog would be out milling about. His name is Scout. And Quinn loves to play with Scout. So a lot of the time we would be out there practicing and he would always kind of look off to one side or the other, try to try to see if he could see Scout through the trees. So he said, Well, we can't do it here. So we started doing the training in the other side of the house where that you can't see any of the other properties. So that worked fine, but that problem is now there's no distraction. So we need to try to find that happy medium where we can have a distraction, teach him how to ignore it. Whether we use a bait, like say uh, a dog cookie or some cheese or maybe a little bit of meat, something like that to keep him focused on me. And he's so dog oriented. He loves other dogs. He, if there were, if there were two dogs and five people, he would go to the two dogs before he would go check other people. Zurich was just the opposite. He'd go and visit the people before he'd visit the dogs. (laughs) So as we went on further with that, um, now we have to go, we want to do these training classes because now we can do the training classes with the other dogs in the same building. And I think that'll go a long way. For us, the very first two dog shows were on the same weekend, one right after the other Saturday and Sunday. That was a learning experience for him. And I think what was nice about it is there were so many dogs there, he actually became a little overwhelmed. So now he didn't know what to do. So now all he knew is he was with me. He was going to stick with me. So that was kind of a good thing. And then subsequent to that, some of the shows we went in, as we went into the arena each time, because we were the novice dog, we're at the end of the line. So all he has to do is follow the dog in front of him. So this is good because he that gives him a little bit of focus. There was one show, though, where there was another dog that was, must have been more novice to us, but it was also a female. So they tend to put the male dogs up front. A lot of times because they're bigger, they're put together a little differently, maybe a little bit more towards the standard. So in this particular case, the female was in the end of the line behind us. So as we're trotting around through the arena to get to the positions and the judges watching us, all Quinn kept doing was looking behind him to say, who's that following me? Oh, it's a girl. Oh, and I think in his mind, he's probably, she's pretty cute. I think I want to go visit her. <laughs>
2: Do you think that doing these kinds of things like helps build your bond and your relationship uh, with him? I think so.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, I, I, I've i been very fortunate here. I mean, uh, we both have actually. But myself in particular, when we went to the breeder to look at the puppies, and at this point in time, we weren't going to do it. We were thinking we were not going to do it. It was too soon after Zurich had passed away. We didn't think we were ready, but we were both so depressed about the loss of Zurich. I mean, I I was fortunate. I I had a a very busy job, which keeps me occupied uh, in comparison to Carla, whose job is very solitary. So it was affecting her a little bit more than it was affecting me, but it affected us both. But Cheryl convinced us. Cheryl Quinn's breeder convinced us. Just come and look at the puppies, just for the day. Just hopefully to just boost your spirits. So when we were there looking at the puppies, we were starting to fall in love pretty quickly. We had two visits with them. One when they were five weeks old, and one another one when they were seven weeks old. At the five week point, we had kind of like kind of narrowed it down to about three or four of the puppies that we really kind of liked. That we liked their look. We loved their disposition. Uh, their willingness to come to us. But then it was cemented by the time we got to the second meeting, which was just two weeks later. And this is the meeting where you have 11 puppies in the litter, huge litter, 11 puppies. And one of them broke away and just kept following me around, kept chasing after me. And that was him, Quinn. He was the one, he picked us. We never even picked him per se. While he was part of that group that we liked. He jumped, jumped right out and says, I want to be your puppy. That was it. I want to be your puppy. And he came to us. Uh, we have a video of him chasing me all over the place.
2: <laughs> they really do choose us sometimes. They do.
1: <laughs> and I think that's the best way to ha- choose a pet. Whether you whether you get go somewhere and find a rescue and you have a rescue dog, that's the first thing that should happen is you see how the dog reacts to you. And I think you should let that be your guide.
2: And so Quinn is very, very busy on Instagram, Carla.
0: (laughs) He is. He does a lot of promoting for different companies. A couple of the big ones that he promotes for a lot is Brutus Bone Broth. And he also promotes another one he promotes for his natural dog company. He does treats, a bunch of different companies. And now we're just starting to work on hopefully getting some hotels. I think that's our goal for this year is to be able to promote for hotels and we're trying to work on since we go to dog shows and we have stayed over a couple of times, kind of working that all in together, staying at the hotel, promoting for the hotel, working the dog show part into it. So that's our goal.
1: Right, and a lot of there's not that many hotels out there that are pet friendly.
0: Yes, I was just thinking that yeah. so, and large breed pet large, yes, that's yes, another he's one a big too. boy yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we've actually found uh, a couple of hotels that were a lot of times they'll tell you that their uh, weight limit for the dog will be 70 pounds which is a, a large dog you know that's a large dog but he's a giant breed there's the difference <laughs> uh, Quinn right now is probably about 120 pounds so that's a big dog and sometimes what you do um, when you're doing promotions is just like anything else in marketing. You want to have an eye catcher, and the one thing about Quinn as a Swiss Mountain Dog is he is an eye catcher. Oh yeah. Um, I did that. I had just sent out a, a message this past year when it was New Year's. I sent out a, a just a New Year's open on Facebook. I just said I want to wish everyone a happy New Year's. And I used Quinn's picture and I said, and it's a picture of him standing on the stone wall, looking, just looking off into space. And I said, Quinn looks towards the future to 2022 to see what it holds for us all. And that all people kept doing was just commenting on how beautiful the dog is. And they forgot that it was a New Year's <laughs> wish. <laughs> so that was the eye catcher. So when you think about a hotel that is pet friendly and wants to show that it's pet friendly, that you just put up a, a beautiful animal such as Quinn. I, you know, they can't resist. They, they say, yo, send us a picture, tell us what you want to do. And I think when they, we can show and prove to them that when we stay there, that having a big dog there is not an issue. They leave it up their weight limits for most people. Cause there's a lot of people out there who have big golden retrievers or German shepherds, or some of your larger dogs. Uh, they're not, you know, they can be outside of a crate and just be good in the room. And, and Quinn was wonderful in all of these hotels We were worried that he'd be barking at noises from other rooms or people in the hallways, and he wasn't. He was fantastic.
2: Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's a that's such a good point because yeah, with our dogs, you know, we usually end up doing like an Airbnb. Yes. um, Verbo is the other one that, that we do a lot for our vacations. And, and even there, you got to read all the fine print because sometimes people want like a $200 deposit or, yeah. or something. And, uh, and I've seen other places that say, you know, look, I've never had a dog that's, you know, trashed a room. <laughs> it's only <laughs> ever, you know, been people that have trashed the room. Right. So it's, um, right. it's so interesting, uh, about, about that. And because, yeah, I mean, so many people have dogs, so many people have pets with, covid more people are traveling by car and not wanting you know to, to fly to and why yeah you know it's such a um so it's such a good point and like you're saying too with doing the dog shows yeah how are you supposed to stay anywhere right
0: uh, <laughs> right to, to so that's show. our goal is to do that this year and we would like the dog shows and hotels and also we would love if anybody knows like we would love Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard is also a goal for a hotel. (laughs) So
2: I was also uh, really curious, just going back to the dog show thing. So the only one I'm really familiar with is the one you see on TV. That's Westminster, right? Yes. So like, what is, is, are there different like levels or um, like, how does that all work? Are there like regionals and nationals or? or
0: Yes. So Quinn went to his first nationals in Massachusetts this summer was the first year they had the Swiss Mountain Dog Nationals in Massachusetts. So you can start off small, which we did in the beginning. I think they were smaller shows that we started and kind of worked our way up to the Nationals, which was in September.
1: Right. So the way I understand it, and I'm still learning this process, is that each show that you go to, uh, if you win certain parts of the show, usually you try to get to that best-in-show part, well, could be not best in show, but best in breed, best of breed. Each thing that you win will gain you a certain number of points. I might get one point for winning the um, winner's, winner's dog. dog. Or if it's a bigger show, it might be two points. And I get to tally these points up from one show to the next. So the goal, I believe, is to get 15 or 17 points. I think it's points.
0: 17 points. 17
1: points. And, and then
0: they become a champion.
1: Yeah. And they, they'd be considered a champion in their, in their realm, even though you may not have one best of breed in each show, you can still be considered champion. So it's like a status and those points can get you to enter into the Westminster. So it's almost like, for instance, like if you want to go to the Olympics, I don't think anybody could just go to the Olympics to, to compete. I think you have to have won either a specific titles or participated at certain levels at almost so many competitions so it's not just a simple thing this is just show up at the door with your ticket you have to build that reputation by virtue of winning uh smaller shows regional shows and in this particular case like carla mentioned it was the swiss mountain dog nationals this particular show was strictly swiss mountain dogs and it would happen to be held in massachusetts so we jumped on the opportunity to go like next year i believe it's going to be in ohio
2: gotcha is that like a, a, a dream goal? Like see if we can get to Westminster?
0: I think so.
1: I, I think, think it would be great.
0: I think it would be great. Um, and he's done, like we said, he has done well for his first year of showing. He already has five points. So he needs 17 to become a champion. And then he does different classes at the shows. He wouldn't start off and work his way up. He would go right into that top level class and compete with everybody once he becomes a champion.
1: Right. We've seen that when we've gone to the different shows where one of the most recent one was held in Springfield, Massachusetts at the Big E Fairgrounds. And we went in there and the the classes that we were in were smaller classes, five dogs, six dogs. And then all of a sudden we go into another class and there was, I think it was 15 dogs. It was amazing. I'm like, what did all these dogs come by? Well, they had come from because these dogs have already earned their points. So they don't have to go through those other rounds of judging as I had done. Gotcha. They walk in into the place and they already have, you know, thirteen points under their belt. And you can accrue these points from year to year. So Quinn's okay. five points stay with him. So now we can go to next year. We win three more points or five more points. That adds to that. Okay. And of course, the, the first level goal is seventeen in you know, order to acquire that status. Uh, we've had some friends who have Swiss mountain dogs just like him. And there's one who lives in, uh, Pennsylvania. And there's another one that lives in New Jersey. And there's a couple of others that are around. And some of them are from the local area. And they have, they have their little catalog of points that they win. And, um, one of the ones that we're, we're actually friendly with the, with the Swiss mountain dog that was Westminster champion for his best of breed. And we see what she's doing. She's building his repertoire to get him to be, I think, the number one in the country. I think he's number two right now. So there's another number, another Swiss mountain dog that's number one. And what, what I think it does the most about it is it promotes the breed. Swiss mountain dogs are not readily known to the public. They see them, they don't necessarily recognize them. Their cousin, the Bernese mountain dog, is more recognizable. As a golden retriever is more recognizable than a Labrador retriever. So. Golden Retrievers became huge family dogs. They became so popular that you couldn't look around a corner and not see one. Um, S- Swiss mountain dogs are different there. You don't see them very often, but you will see Bernese mountain dogs quite often. So now one of the things that the the groups that we uh, converse with and, and connect with, they want to promote the breed a little bit more. And what it does is it helps to build the gene pool for the dogs. So... And it also promotes the Swiss Mountain Dog Rescue Fund too, which we participate with greatly. So there are a lot of people who who acquire a Swiss Mountain Dog. They're a big dog. And sometimes they have certain quirks that people aren't prepared for. Um, it may have something to do with their children. It may have something to do with their lifestyle, their work schedule. Uh, sometimes you have people who are older and because they're a big dog, they get to the point where they can no longer take care of them. And I think the, the most important thing is they need a safe place if they have to rehome the dog. Uh, God forbid that anybody has to rehome their dog, but it, it can happen. You be, become disabled; uh, you might become too elderly to take care of the dog. It could be any reason at all. Yeah, especially if the dog has a disability like blindness, or you know, dog has gone deaf, or they have some other mobility issues and things like that. You know. Uh, that's what I liked about the Swiss Mountain Dog Rescue Group is because not only do they promote that and try to rehome the dogs, and they, they're they very picky about where a dog is allowed to be rehomed, which is important. But they are also will steer people around to different things, uh, products and things like that that help with a dog that has a disability. If a dog has trouble with its hips, like Swiss Mountain Dogs, sometimes as they get older, they're a big dog. How does the dog get up off the floor? How do you help that dog? So they have a thing called a the help him up harness. Yes, it has a little yes. handle on his back. If the dog goes, get up, get up, you go over and you grip the harness and you just help him right up. It makes it easy for you. Um, there's different ramps that to be able to get in and out of the car. Um, things like that. It's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I was uh, I was curious about that, too, because, yeah, that's, that's a lot of dog, went, you know, I mean, even with, with my dogs, uh, Penny's about 50 pounds, so I can pick her up if I have to. Mm-hmm. And Nino is about 75 pounds, and he is just solid muscle. And, yeah, I'm if I was on my own, I would have a heck of a time trying to, <laughs> you know, get him up. So I can't imagine having even a bigger dog, you know, with mobility issues. It that can be hard.
1: Be. Yeah, yeah that brings me back understand. to a, a memory – of a dog that we had prior to Zurich. Uh, he was a, a Labrador retriever. His name was Dreyfus. And Dreyfus lived for a very long time. He made it to 14 and a half, which oh, is, wow. is an amazing amount of time for, for a dog guy, that yeah. size. In his heyday, at the peak of his uh, time, he was about 90 pounds. And then I think as he got older, he kind of leaned out to about 80 pounds, maybe a little bit less than that. But he's still a big dog. But he was with us all the time. Um, he had a bed next to our bed at night to sleep on. So when we would, we had a two-story house at the time when he got to that age, it's the same house that we live in now and he wanted to come up at night, but he would spend the day on the first floor. So in the at the night, I could carry him up the stairs but Carla could not. He was too heavy for her but she he was just at that point where she could still pick him up and bring him down the stairs in the morning. So he would come down the stairs in the morning, and he would spend the day. He had a bed in the, on the first floor in the living room, so he could spend the day downstairs after he had been out and exercised. And then at night, I could carry him up. But that was pretty much the extent. I'll tell you right now, I could not carry Zurich up the stairs. <laughs> no, it would have taken both of us to do that. Yeah. And Quinn's pretty much the same way. He, they, are, yeah. they are so much bigger. Even though I could probably lift 120 pounds, he's long. Right, I, mean, I, I can't spread my arms that far and still lift <laughs> 120 pounds.
2: Right. It's a lot different than, you know, trying to, you know, bench something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> you know? And also they're always like uncooperative, did we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. And then one more question about the competitions. Cause I, I this is so interesting to me cause I, I have no experience. So what is it like, like the backstage or the preparation area? Cause sometimes you'll see, I've seen like these photos and there's like, You know, dogs stacked up on top of each other. It looks like very chaotic or something. And I'm just always curious how dogs navigate that. Or I guess they get used to it. But again, my dogs would be freaking out.
0: (laughs) So I think like at the dog shows that we have been to, they are like if we're outside or when we were in Springfield, there are crates everywhere for the dogs. Like the the Thanksgiving Day dog show that we went to was extremely big. And it was hard to navigate a lot of people around and a lot of the dogs. Quinn, when we first get to the dog show, is excited. So Wayne will get himself ready and I will take Quinn and I will just walk him probably a good 20 minutes just around the showgrounds. Just him and I just exploring, checking out the sights. And it kind of just blows that extra energy that he has. By the time his class comes around, he's kind of taken a deep breath and settled in, and he's ready to do that. So that helps for us, but it it can get very chaotic, I think. A lot going on. A lot going on. I think it's a lot of hurry up, wait for your class, and then hurry up and get in the ring. (laughs) we ask
2: our dogs to do so much they're so patient with us (laughs) I know
1: and we're pretty fortunate with with quid because he has a short-haired coat which doesn't require a lot of preparation it's not a lot of primping and preening and things like that as you would with a dog with a longer coat like say a chow or a golden retriever or a poodle for that matter Uh, there's a lot of a lot of the um, a lot of the owners and handlers get very involved with preparing the dog for the presentation. Swiss Mountain Dogs, in particular, like you know a Labrador Retriever, or in our case the Swiss Mountain Dog, there's not a lot to do. We can just take a, a cloth and wipe them down, r- maybe run a brush over him just slightly. It's already ready, ready to go. He's there. Um, some, show like, sheen yeah,
0: some, shiny, <laughs> some show to oh. make them shiny, sparkle.
1: Some show sheen. Um, you know, his nails were. You know, we trim them like the day or two before, so that they have a chance to kind of wear in a little bit. Um, and what I usually do is prior to having to go into the arena, and and when I, I shouldn't say the arena, the ring, um, I will walk around up and down the aisles with him. He'll get to see all the different dogs. Sometimes you go by a dog that'll be in its crate. And when you go by, and if you're a little too close to their crate, they'll bark at you because you're getting too close to them. But most of the dogs, are, they're not all in their crate. Some dogs are out just milling about with their handlers or their owners. And a lot of them are very well behaved. So there's, they're all relatively trained to be ignored to other dogs so that it's not so overwhelming to them. And what happens is sometimes you'll see Quinn will come along and everybody is a potential playmate to him because he's at that age. He's at that two-year age where everybody is somebody to play with. Where some of the dogs are older, they're four, they're five, maybe even six or seven, and they've been around the block before. So they're not so worried about what the other dogs are doing. But there were a couple of opportunities as we walked down the aisle, and all of a sudden, Quinn looked at the other dog in in the eye, When one dog looks at another dog in the eye, there's a little bit of a challenge going on. So all of a sudden, Quinn, in his mind, hey, he does the puppy bow. He'll drop on the forelegs and does the puppy bow. Well, the other dog is not interested and gives him a stiff bark. Hey, back off, pal. (laughs) But we did. We went all around. I must have had, uh, it it seems like 10,000 steps as I walked all around the dog show in this huge arena With multiple rings. There were 17, 18, 20 rings going on all at the same time. Different breeds of dog being shown at the different times. You can see uh, bulldogs over here, and then you corgis over over here, and great Danes are over there. And I'll tell you, it's so amazing because you see so many beautiful animals.
0: And I think with Quinn and his age, he'll be three in July. Um, So, two when he was showing, he, he needed to keep busy. And just keep moving. And he didn't like, he would get bored very quickly with the waiting part. So we focused on if Wayne wasn't walking him, waiting for his class to go in, I was walking him just to keep him moving and a little focused. Because if he did wait around a little too much and a dog walked by, he would be like, let's play. <laughs> Forget the show, let's mm. play.
2: And I would, yeah, I would guess I was wondering if. But you make a good point that all of these dogs are trained to be around other dogs and not have it as a distraction. I guess I was wondering if there were any, like, spunky dogs. There, there. it is.
1: Oh, yeah, there are. There, there is. There's quite a few of them. And I think that training is not so much deliberate training. I think it's just a over- exposure over time. Right. So the dog matures by going to many shows and is learning that not every dog is a playmate. They're not a threat either, but they're just not a playmate, and a lot of them – uh, train, the training that will be done is to train the dog to stay focused on the handler, stay focused on the owner, as the case may be. And I think a lot of people practice with that. And I think that's something that I need to do with Quinn is that to, to teach him to be more focused on me so that he won't be distracted by other dogs. I think that's paramount when you're going to show is if you, you have to show that you have to be able to, to handle the dog. You don't want to be outhandled by the dog.
2: Right, right. And you said some of the dogs can be, you know, five, six, seven. Is there an age limit to competing? Like, do they have to have done it by a certain age? or
0: I'm not sure about that.
1: No. Actually, um, while we were there, they have different categories of yeah, classes. Yeah, that's true. I think we did go to a show where they had a range of four to six months for puppies. And then they have six to nine, then nine to 12 months, and then they'll do... Uh, twelve months to two years. That whole they'll have that breakdown. But I think they only do those classes if the show is large enough to have that many contestants. So if they don't have enough contestants to do that, they'll then eliminate the category. But I think they provide that as an opportunity for everyone.
0: And they do have at some of the shows. They will have, I guess, it's a senior. I don't know if they word it that way. A senior division. Okay. At some of the dog shows, we have bento. There'll be that class for the older dogs.
2: Oh okay gotcha that's really interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's really like I said it's been a, a a great experience. Uh you meet so many people and what's beautiful about it is everybody there is a dog lover. <laughs> right. I think that's that's the thing I take away from it is every I just I was just in a building with 500 dog lovers.
0: <laughs> and it's something we can all do together. Right, like the whole family. <laughs> yeah. A family outing.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: And so I
2: obviously you have Quinn now. Do you guys have other horses now? We don't.
0: Oh, okay. We don't. It's always something we think about, but
1: we'll see. (laughs) I mean, we have the facility here. We have our barn. And I think, you know, horses can be a lot of work. So you have to have a good life schedule in order to accommodate having a horse. You also want to have a little bit of a purpose behind it because – Because your horse doesn't live in the house with you and spend time with you at the same way a dog does, a lot of times you want to have a horse that you can do something with. Maybe you're doing trail rides. Maybe you're showing the horses the case may be. So a lot of times you don't want to just get a horse that you're just going to leave in the corral and be by himself all the time. You want to have him have a good life. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's hugely important that if you're going to take on having a horse or any other type of animal that lives outside, that you have a little bit of purpose behind it so that it gives you a reason to, to be with the horse or the, whether it be a donkey or goats or whatever you have, you want to have that reason to have your interaction. All too often you see people who have animals just for the sake of having them. And, you know, I, I just think that they kind of like, they're not neglectful, but they're not, uh, uh, focused on them enough. I mean, it makes you wonder, well, what do you have them for?
0: And I think Paddington was just such a special horse that uh, there's not going to be a horse that comes here to that is even going to compare to what he mm-hmm. was. So I don't think that's fair. And even when Paddington was still alive, and even after, we had show horses at a barn that was awesome, but it just is so expensive. Those who us didn't did not come home. They stayed at the show barn till they were sold. They ended up, actually ended up getting sold, but it's a whole other expense.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's, it's it's extremely expensive. It's almost uh, akin to having paying a college tuition for your child. That's how expensive it is. <laughs> I
2: can imagine, is. and,
1: can and imagine. that is all predicated on the training and the boarding, primarily. And then there's uh, a certain level of upkeep. You have a, a farrier that has to come by and take care of the horse's hooves and a tooth floater, which is a horse dentist to look at their teeth. It's different when they're at home. Your 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 activity level is so different that you don't have to pay such close attention. Um, think of a, a person, a woman who is a model, for instance, how much... They have to be c- careful of their hair and their makeup and their nails and they're uh, their working out with their body and things like that. So that's the kind of level of care that you have to give a show horse. A horse you have at home that maybe you're just riding on the trails and you're taking care of and things like that. So you don't have to be so intent on all of those things at the same level. And it's, it's still wonderful care, but it's not such primping and preening, as it were. Um, with Paddington, when we had Paddington, Paddington was not always alone. We had other, sh- other horses at the barn. Carlos Cousin, for a while, had two horses here that lived at the barn, and there were other people that boarded their horses. So at one point in time, there were six horses here. So Paddington had other horses around with him. And then uh, as time went on, as people moved away, they took their horse with them. Uh, in a couple of cases, we had some horses pass away that we had here. So Paddington became the survivor. And it was hugely important for him to have Zurich as a, as a companion because now he was by himself. Now, and I
0: think that's why they connected so well.
1: Yes. And I, I think the other thing that was very helpful is Paddington was a very stoic individual. So while other things didn't bother him, he and he he gave you the impression that he didn't need any companionship, but in reality, he did, because we could tell just by the way he dealt with Zurich from the start, as Zurich as a puppy. You know, we're talking about a rambunctious little puppy and an older horse. At the time, I think Paddington was 25 going on 26 when, when Zurich showed up at our doorstep, so to speak. And here you have this little child, and I'm a middle-aged man, as it were. You know, imagine what that kind of combination is. It's like an odd couple if there ever was one. So and it's just Zurich was just so good with Paddington he understand, understood Paddington was a big guy, and he could hurt him, so he he never got underfoot, as it were, but at the same time, I think Paddington just loved having him around I, and I think watching him grow up compared to a full grown dog showing up at the corral is a real big difference. Animals seem to recognize a baby, whether it be a baby squirrel or a baby cat. Or a baby dog, or another baby horse, and they all know how to deal with it. They're not aggressive toward it. They're not uh, standoffish. They know how to just—they uh, just know how to deal with a baby. It's amazing how they do it.
2: Thank goodness we have the internet to watch all kinds of videos of right. <laughs> animals oh, adopting amazing. babies.
0: <laughs> I know it's absolutely it's the best amazing. thing
2: to come out of the internet. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm so excited for everyone to get the book. We'll have a link right in the show notes to take you to the adventures of Paddington and Zurich. And uh, Carla and Wayne, thank you so much. Thank (laughs) you.
0: It was fun to do it again.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure.
2: And when you get to Westminster, we're going to do it again. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was so great to catch up with Carla and Wayne and hear about everything they've had going on. And I can't wait to get my copies of the Great Adventures of Paddington and Zurich. I'll make sure I have a link in the show notes to where you can pre-order the book for yourself. I think it's such a beautiful tribute to the memories of Paddington and Zurich and all the links that Carla and Wayne are going to to keep them alive in their hearts and in the world. I think we all know that losing our pets is one of the hardest things that we can go through as as pet parents. And I've said before that it feels like that was a really good chapter, and you weren't quite ready for that chapter to end. And if we're being honest, we'd probably never be ready for that chapter of our lives to end. And this is such a beautiful memorial and such a beautiful message to keep Pennington and Zurich's love alive. And I also really loved hearing about the Kennel Club shows and the competitions and the confirmation that Quinn is a part of with Carla and Wayne. I think the fact that surprised me most was hearing about What a collaborative environment that it has been, collaboration over competition. I thought for sure that it was going to be more like cutthroat or something, but I will admit that pretty much my only knowledge of any kind of dog shows comes from the movie Best in Show, which I understand is a parody, but it's really all I had to base my knowledge on. I really enjoyed hearing about them building a bond with their dog Quinn through doing this type of training and this type of show. I know that it can be really hard when you lose your dog that you feel like maybe it was your heart dog and then you sort of bring this new dog in and it almost feels a little bit like who is this stranger and they're so different and you have to get used to this new individual in your home. And and so I really love the idea of of building the bond and, and doing it through this way. I know so many people who do different training and dog sports and it really is a beautiful way to get to know your dog and to really build that bond with your dog. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Make sure you go to treehousetunes.com to pre-order The Great Adventures of Paddington and Zurich. And make sure you check out our sponsor, the Hugs and Belly Rubs Dog Health Journal. Make sure to follow me at Believe in Dog podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I'll be sharing lots of pictures from Carla and Wayne. We'll have pictures both from the book as well as from Quinn and his recent title wins. And we'll also have a link to the Quinn Zurich Paddington Instagram account where you can follow all of Carla's amazing photography and all of Quinn's current adventures. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs.
1: Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.